The Money Podcast by best-selling author of Money, Rob Moore, dives into how to make, manage, and master money. How to know more, make more, and give more. How to save, invest, and raise money. The Money Podcast is for anyone who wants to make more money in a job, profession, or passion. For money masters and money disasters. They say money doesn't make you happy. Rob says it does. Well, is there something wrong with with generating money? It's like, well, it depends on what you're going to do with the money. You know, like if you're going to spend it all on hookers and cocaine, then probably that's reprehensible. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Now, this is a very exclusive episode. I don't think you'll find anything like this on the internet where I've managed to get together billionaires and a few 100 millionaires thrown into the mix. People I've met personally, I've been lucky enough to be mentored by or I've interviewed. This is free advice from 100 millionaires or billionaires. I don't think you'll find anything like this on the internet. So before you go and listen or watch the episode, make sure you do like this video and subscribe to the channel. We do many billionaires, many hundred millionaires and many disruptive entrepreneurs. So let's go now with the billionaire and hundred millionaire interview. I think you will love it. Do we need billionaires or is it just a waste of money and resource? Well, it's foolish. Like it's foolish. There's trillionaires. Like what what makes billionaires? Trillionaires. Yeah. So like people don't, they're, they're, they're complaining about the wrong thing. How do you have a billionaire? You don't have a billionaire because of millionaires. You got billionaires because of trillion, trillionaire companies. Yeah. So um, these banks, you know, who's getting a pass right now is the big giant behemoths. And, and those are the big institutions that are doing trillions of dollars. Forget billions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do we need billionaires? Okay. Yeah. We need people taking risk. People need to take more risk. People need to put themselves out there. People need to hire people. There's too many small companies and too much small thinking going on. Yeah. So. Um, Look, I hope to be a billionaire one day. Yeah. Like, you're not going to take it from me. Because I'm going to figure out some other way to re- reallocate it. Yeah. And, and, and do good things with it. Yeah. So, um, so when people say, oh, they hoard it, they don't pay taxes, all this yeah, kind that's of stuff. Not, but that's not true. Like, no, I, like I, don't pay in, I don't pay income taxes in America. Like, last year I didn't pay any income taxes. Yeah. But I paid $30 million worth of property taxes. Yeah. I also hire, uh, I have 185 people on one payroll and 175 people on another payroll. Yeah. So 350 people times what, 50,000 bucks, 60,000, $70,000 a year, whatever that number is. Yeah. I'm paying $200 million a year or $21 million a year in salaries plus 15% matching. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing my share, yeah. fair share. Now, if I can figure out a way personally to, okay, I'm gonna go buy a jet I'm gonna offset my income, not pay any income taxes. Well, I'm gonna play every game I can. Yeah. And everybody should play every game you can. Uh, the, the, problem, the problem that people need to complain about right now is not the billionaires. They need, they need to understand that the, because what they're saying is there's income inequality, wealth inequality. But the reality is there's education inequality. Mm. Okay, the billionaires play by a different set of rules than everybody else. So do, do I blame the guy playing by a different set of rules, or do I blame the game? You know, the old, the old saying about uh, it, it, don't hate the player, yeah, hate, hate the game. The game. Yeah. You need to learn how to win at the game. Yeah. Don't hate anybody. Don't hate the game, don't hate the player, learn the game. Yeah. And the game of the wealthy, the, the, the rules are stacked for wealthy institutions and, and wealthy families. Yeah. And, and people need to like understand what those rules are. 
Yeah, and those games are those rules, those games. Investing. Are, yeah. Not spending. Yeah. I'm gonna invest. I'm, I'm not gonna buy. I'm not gonna buy a house. I'm gonna buy a company. Yeah. Uh, you know Donald Trump. Everybody Create hates jobs, him. huh? Create jobs. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to have a job. Gonna I'm going gonna, gonna to create jobs. Yeah. Like, like the difference is Donald Trump. He he buys a building in New York. He lives in it. He doesn't buy a house and live in it. Yeah. He buys a building and lives in it. Rents out the whole place. He literally gets paid to live where he is, mm. right? And then moves into the White House. <laughs> so, <laughs> so same thing with the Queen. Okay, like like look look at the play, man. Yeah. I mean, are you going to take the Queen stuff from her? <laughs> I'm this not. Is, not me nobody personally. is. No. Nobody is. People no. have been trying to take her stuff for 70 years. Ain't yeah. nobody taking her stuff. No. So this is not a new thing. This is not a new problem. Like, this is thousands of years old. Play yeah. the game of the wealthy. Own things. Own businesses. Don't spend money. Yeah. Invest money. Don't waste it on cars and bicycles. And Like, if you look at the average family in, in, in the UK, they will spend ridiculous money on things their kids want. Look, I take care of my kids, but I don't just frivolously buy them junk. Yeah. Like, okay, it's only $89, I'm gonna get it for them. And it's worth nothing the next day. Mm. That's where, that's where yeah. the difference is. Yeah. And then, and then the wealthy, they, they invest money to connect with people, okay? Uh, most, people, most people go home at night so they can be with their family. The thinking's different. Mm. So the, these guys are going to go to Davos and meet with uh, Bill Gates and, 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 and Warren Buffett and spend millions making connections, not tens of thousands, millions of dollars, where the average household in the UK is like, I just want to go home tonight, watch TV. And you're, you're, the people are getting punished for that. How does psychology, temperament, um, marry up and link with psychology? You're obviously well known for psychology, commentary in other areas, mm -hmm. but maybe we could focus a bit on that domain. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's lots known about what predicts success in different domains across the lifespan, let's say. The first question is, what are the, if you're trying to analyze something like business success um, or productive success, what, what are the proper domains of category? And so if you're trying to categorize jobs, for example, which turns out to be quite difficult, the simplest conceptual scheme that's practical, that gets you somewhere, is like a two-by-two two matrix. There are simple jobs and complex jobs. That's the first thing that's worth knowing, and it's a continuum, really. But a simple job is one where once you're trained, you just repeat what you're doing. So, so factory line work would be, would, would be an example of that, or, or checking out people at a grocery store, or restocking grocery shelves, or, or, or jobs like that. The best predictors for success in those jobs is conscientiousness, trait conscientiousness, and conscientious people are orderly and industrious. And we don't exactly know why they are. It, it seems like it's associated, oddly enough, with such things as disgust sensitivity. So maybe people are conscientious because they get disgusted with themselves if they're not useful and mm. guilty. You know, they get guilty if yeah. they're not engaging in productive enterprise. And maybe that's a marker for, for a kind of complex social responsibility, yeah. you know, but, um, Which sounds like the complete opposite of uh, most entrepreneurs I know. Well, the yeah. entre on, that's, that's the thing. The mm. entrepreneurs are different. So, so for simple jobs, IQ, intelligence, predicts how fast you learn the job, but not how well you do it once you learn it. Mm. And what predicts there is conscientiousness. So you, basically, 
if you're hiring people, you want conscientious people who are, that's the most important thing. And then, then the second most important thing is you want people who are relatively low in trait neuroticism, which is a negative emotion dimension because they're less likely to be absentee right. and so forth. So in complex jobs, complex job is one where the demands change on a regular basis. And so most managerial and administrative positions are complex jobs because you can't learn the job once and for all. And then the best predictor for complex jobs, the first predictor is IQ. And the second predictor is conscientiousness. And IQ is about three times more powerful than, than conscientiousness as a predictor. Mm. And then, so that's the first, simple versus complex. And then the second would be, the second category scheme would be something like managerial slash administrative versus entrepreneurial. And the entrepreneurial types, actually, they're over with the artists. So the best predictor for entrepreneurial success, first is IQ, but second is trait openness, which is the creativity dimension. Mm. So entrepreneurial types tend to be very high in trait openness. And so that sets them with the artists and also with the political liberals because the best predictor of political liberalism is trade openness. Right. So the managers and administrative types, they tend to be conservative and the entrepreneurial and creative types tend to be liberal. Mm. And so if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to be a lateral thinker. And so you'll be the sort of person, if they hear an idea, if you hear an idea, that will trigger off a whole bunch of other ideas. And you'll be motivated primarily by interest in pursuing your ideas. But your, your downfall is likely to be organizational administrative ability. So it's often useful for entrepreneurial types to pair themselves with managerial and administrative types. Yeah. You are it's like you are describing my soul here. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, there's, there's a tension. There, there's this weird tension mm. between doing one thing right, which is what you need to do if you're if you've already decided what it is that you're doing and scanning the landscape for something new to do that would be worthwhile. Those aren't the same enterprises. Mm. And so most companies are an uneasy marriage of entrepreneurial and managerial types. As the company gets more and more established, the managerial and administrative types tend to dominate. But then that becomes problematic because it means it's more and more difficult for the company to shift mm. laterally when yeah. it has to, which is, again, I think why so many companies eventually fail. We have to change the definition of success. What is the success mean? If you define success as amount of money you have in the bank, then you actually will never be successful because you're always chasing something. So to us, uh, what I tell our children is your success will never be measured by amount of money in your bank. What it will be measured by will be number of lives you've been able to improve on. And that's the definition of success. And the only way you know you have really become successful is humility. The day you become humble is the day you become successful. If you still have iota of arrogance left in you, that means you're still trying to prove something to yourself or someone else, and then you're not successful. So if you look at our president, he's constantly telling everyone, do you know how rich I am? Well, that tells you that he's still, he's still looking for success. Yeah, okay. Is that not okay, though, because it drives you to more as long as you don't let it go out of control? So remember, Making money is like having an orgasm. If you focus on it, you're never going to get it. You have to enjoy the process. <laughs> okay, well, that is, that's the best answer on money I've ever had. I'm fascinated by what a billionaire would know that a millionaire doesn't. And obviously, you can make that mean whatever you want, but you're at a level which a lot of people are never going to understand in their life.
of scale, success, wealth, etc. You know, what do you now know that you didn't 20 or 30 years ago, maybe when you were more new money or you just got successful? What do you know now that mere mortals well, don't? Well, there's a lot of stuff I know now that I didn't know before, but my attitude towards money and wealth, I don't think has changed at all. Um, but I mean, I, look, I know a lot now that I don't know. So what, about, I mean, about life and about business and about relationships and about uh, what I want to accomplish in the rest of my life and what I don't want to waste my time on. Mm. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that I've learned in my, probably in my business career is that I'm always relearning, by the way, because it's the hardest thing to learn, uh, is just to say no more often. That's the hardest thing to learn. For me, personally. Yeah. The single hardest thing to learn is to say no. Well, I'm glad you said no to all the other podcasts, but not this one. Yeah, but you've done very, very well in your podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm impressed because most podcasts, no one listens to them. Mm. You know, people have them because they want to have them, but not many people listen to them and they're not very well done. Yeah. Yours is well done and you have, you have good, interesting people and you have good um, listenership and viewership. Thank you. Um, so I'd love to explore a bit more about what those things are that you've learned. So if it's okay, we'll come back to that. Um, but I'm also fascinated that you said your attitude, if I pick the right word, to wealth and money hasn't changed. So what is your attitude and why hasn't it changed? Well, I mean, I, I grew up in a regular sort of blue collar, great family, right? So there's seven kids, two parents and two grandparents. So there's 11 of us and, and it's in an industrial town and it was great. And, and my mother was the most remarkable woman in the world and the matriarch of the family. And she just recently died a few weeks back, but she, at 102. Wow. Um, and at 102, two months, eight weeks before she died, I took her on vacation to the Caribbean. So she's still active and she renewed her license at 100 for 10 years. So she's a very active woman. Um, but I grew up in a very loving, normal, little blue collar family. And those were my values. And they were set probably by my mother early and often, and they, they stuck with me. Mm. You know, I mean, my mother one time told me I was walking on the street and I, and I, I saw a penny uh, and she saw me see it and I kept on walking and she goes, aren't you gonna pick it up? And I thought for a minute and I said, yeah, okay. So I, I picked up the penny. She goes, don't ever let your father see you. Think you're such, such a big shot that you can't bend over to pick up a penny. So that's sort of her, that was sort of how she brought us up. Yeah. So would that be to value money, not to that, respect it? Value money, but also recognize that a lot of people don't have it. So you don't really have a right to squander it. Mm. You should use it to build value and solve problems, create jobs, and move the ball down the field. You should use the money in the capital and your energy uh, to move the ball down the field for everybody else. You know, this this. Billions of people that are screwed. And a lot of rich people say, well, you know, I get up very early. You know, they have to, those people have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. A lot of people with no boots. You know what I mean? It's really hard to pull yourself up in the bootstraps when there's no boots. And that's just people justifying all their fancy shit, you know, by saying that. Mm. Well, every, a lot of people get up early. A lot of people work hard. Mm. And from World War II, till I got out of university, 
Real growth in America was 3%, which meant that real income growth, median growth, which meant that after all the increase and in all the expenses, you were still going up by 3% a year. So that meant that 98% of the next generation were going to be richer than their parents. Well, that's not the case anymore. Healthcare is rising faster than wages. Education is rising faster than wages. Uh, housing is rising faster than wages. So America, which is a country of hopes and dreams, which is why everybody wants to come to America, it's a country of hopes and dreams, that hopes, those hopes and dreams go away if a man loses dignity. And you lose your dignity if you can't get ahead, if you just keep on trying, no matter how hard you work. Now real growth is 0.4 tenths of 1%. So that means that about half of the people know that the kids are not going to make as much money as them. And about half the people know, no matter how hard they work, they're not going to be able to buy a home. So my, my, my grandfather was a janitor. So he, he cleaned toilets for a living, but he owned his own home with one income. Mm. Can't do that in, in the West anymore, in not. England or in, in America. And I, and I use America as an example because America is the country that's supposed to be leading the charge for hopes and dreams yeah. in the West. That's the country that everybody wants to look up to for hopes and dreams because in America, our brand is that anything is possible. And you're gonna lose that if a whole generation grow up and they can't afford a house, they can't afford healthcare, they can't afford education, mm. that sucks. Yeah. And those problems, no one wants to attack those problems. They just wanna, the left wants to blame big business and the right wants to blame big government. Mm. And the truth is that it's, you can't blame either. Big business didn't create the problem. Big government didn't create the problem. They both contributed to it, and neither of them are, are doing their fair share to solve the problem. But by just blaming the other side is, is not going to solve the problem, Rob, right? Mm. I mean, it takes hard, so it takes rethinking, hence my book. Yeah. It takes a total rethink. For hundreds of years, things were moving slow enough that incremental thinking could get us there. Now everything's moving so fast that you need a total rethink around these problems. Not, the, the way we think and the way we address problems hasn't really changed since the Industrial Revolution, but the quantum of the problem and the speed in which the problems are coming at us has changed. Mm. So people need to start behaving like their life depends on it. Hi, it's Rob. Quick interruption here to make sure you like this video and you subscribe to the channel. We are upping our content game, bringing you the most disruptive interviewees and guests and content, and not just the people who do the usual circuit. So make sure you like, subscribe, and now let's get back to the interview. Could we reverse engineer and get in your brain and work out how you come up with lots of ideas? Absolutely, it's pretty easy. And the first thing I'll say is that you said lots of people have good ideas. I didn't say that. I said lots of people have ideas. Because remember, I don't believe there's any such thing as a good idea. I get an idea as an idea. And you only find out if it's a good idea after you've collided it with a real person. In, in your head, there's no way of knowing. Asking someone, there's no way of knowing. The only way to figure out if it's good or bad is to try it. So that doesn't beg the question, where do you start? And uh, the people like myself, in some ways, who do it for a living, do have a lot of techniques. Um, you know, there's, you know, looking at taking new business models and applying them to old businesses or looking at new technologies that have opened up new opportunities. But there's an 
easy, easy, easy way that I believe every single person can use. And I, I teach this method. And it's simply that you've got to train yourself to look for pain, to see the world um, as an imperfect place. Uh, and once you've kind of recognized how flawed the world is, all of a sudden ideas almost instantaneously flood in. So you start by saying, what's frustrating to me? And you almost can't help it. You get this, what would happen if that just pops into your head? And then the trick is to learn how to capture that and immediately say, how could I try that? And not try it in a finished method, not try it in a repeatable or scalable method, but try it in a way that just quickly validates whether the idea has any merit. They're doing well, but they've maxed their own time out and they're like, right, I need to hire staff. But then like, I don't think I can afford it. I don't want to manage people or I just want someone to come in and do a proper job and leave them to it. And then they leave them to it and then they don't do it properly. Then they get annoyed with them. I don't have time to manage them and train them. The whole point of having a staff member is not to manage them and train them. It's so they can just do the bloody job so I can grow. And they get stuck in that little sort of one man band paradox. Um, you've obviously grown a company to a turnover of 1.1 billion and you're obviously not doing all those hours yourself. You must have a big team. So how does someone mindset and skill set go from struggling with recruiting to building a team? That's a really, I mean, I, I've come across this a lot. Mm. It's a really it's common. It's an important question. Mm. I, I, I think that the Put the time in, firstly. I, I know it's difficult when you're running to just keep still, almost. Yeah. But you need to put the time in both into to what you're looking for, what would really be helpful for your business, and, and what sort of person would be the yeah. answer. And, and I would say, I mean, I recommend to people, you should try going temporary to permanent. So we right. call it temp to permanent. Yeah. So hiring someone on a temporary basis... Uh, but putting time into them to make sure that you understand each other is a really good way of doing it because it, you get to know each other through that process. And if it's a temporary contract, you can always say, well, this is going to end at the end of March or you know, we, we've only got three weeks left. And there are no hard feelings. Yeah. Um, but if you love each other and the, the match is well made, you can make it more permanent. Yeah. So I think temporary to permanent is a really good way of of growing a business. Yeah. And there are lots of good people who want to work flexibly. Mm. Because from the from the candidate's point of view, they don't know either whether yeah. you know, this it's entrepreneur is someone they yeah. want to you know, yeah. you know, align their career that. with in a little business. Is it, is it Well, they take a risk work? on you. If you're a small company and you're not established, yeah. they think, have I got job security? Yeah, so you're both taking a risk a bit. Yes. That's a good way of... I mean, sometimes, though, people won't be available. But yeah, a lot of people want to work flexibly now, and it suits them. So mm. if, that's, if, it, if it's made very open at the beginning, we'll try this out on a temporary department basis. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a good way of doing mm. it. So we certainly learned that being really clear on the kind of person we want and really clear on their roles and creating a really good job description and a really good job ad, that was all really important in qualifying who we got. But still, the entrepreneur who's really busy listening to you say that, James, is like, oh, I don't want to have to spend ages because I've got to be selling. I've got to be selling, selling, selling. If I stop selling, I'm going to lose money. So we need to invest time to find the right person and train the right person, but we're busy selling, selling, selling. So how do we get over that paradox? Well, I suppose you have to take them with you for a bit, literally, probably. <laughs> Sit next to each yeah. other or go off in the van together, whatever it is. Um, but then I think you have to delegate. Mm. and you have to. That's a bit of courage involved in that. 
sort of stepping why, back. Why and, courage? You know, this well, because you don't know whether that person's going to be up to it, yeah. or as good as you, or represent you in a way yeah. that you'd be happy with. But if you've given them a bit of time and input before, yeah. you should be more confident than if you just found a stranger and said, I want you to go and sell my services yeah. to you know, the, your customers. So mm. I think you know, delegating is really key to this. Yeah. And, and a key business lesson I've learned is you know, the key to success is finding good people and letting them get on with yeah. it. Yeah. I don't think it's possible 100%. to make a lot of money and have good self-worth 100%. and use money to fulfill a drive, a motivation, a why, mm. as you said. I think it's possible. I think a lot, too many people separate it. Oh, I've met loads of rich people, they're all unhappy. I've met loads of poor people that are unhappy. Mm-hmm. I, I, we separate these things oh, as human exactly. beings, being, don't we? Being, being broke is very painful. Yeah. It's just a different set of problems you yeah. have when you get rich, right? Yes. You've got, and you, and um, um, yeah, and I think the reason why some wealthy people and even lottery winners, we see the suicide rates amongst lottery winners, they, they end up being miserable is because the reason, because of their relationship with money, but the reason why they wanted money, maybe the reason why they were pursuing it, maybe the way they'd glamorized it in their own mind on the path there mm. was heavily extrinsically motivated. Yes. And they, in some respect, thought that some magical confetti was going to rain down on them when they made that billion. Or, you know, and so it was going to be this internal feeling of euphoria. And I, and I just think the, the, the lack of it, the, the anticlimax is, sets you off on this spiral of maybe it's prostitutes, maybe it's cocaine, maybe it's lamb, maybe it's, you know, far-flying business class. Maybe, and they're chasing something that doesn't exist. They're chasing yeah. off the pleasure like a mirage in a fucking desert, like a watering hole in a desert, getting closer and closer and it's moving off into the distance and they just keep fucking running faster. Whereas Michael Birch, the guy was so grounded and so happy within himself, he made a billion and was like, well, I've got my wife Sochi, I love her, my life's good. Yeah. Don't need to chase anything. I am already enough. I think that's probably the, the most powerful three words <laughs> that I, and most profound and most simple three words that someone I am enough. said, said this one said to me one day, they said, um, they said, what if you're, you are already enough? And it's so simple, right? But it just shatters everything. It shatters every pr- programming I had as a kid. You've got to climb the ladder. You've got to you know, pursue that, chase that dream. Do this constant pursuit of something, right? The, the words that maybe, what if, just imagine for a second, you are already enough. You don't need more followers. You don't need more stuff. You don't need to achieve more. What if you have everything you need and you're already enough? It all, it's almost frightening. Yeah. For me, it's intimidating because it throws into question everything I believe about the world, mm. right? And then I think, okay, what's my fucking purpose? It's the same as when they offered me the money when I was 24 for my company. I thought, okay, so what's the fucking point in this then if it wasn't the thing I thought? But maybe that's the, maybe that's the key to happiness is that, that, you know, that the anti-programming that, in fact, you already have everything you need. Yeah. The world has just told you that you're lacking of something. Yeah. How can, how can, how can uh, influencers can, can convince you that they're followable if they don't first convince you that they have something you don't have, prettiness, fashion sense? How can marketeers sell to you from the age of one if they don't convince you that there's something you need that you don't have? Mm. And that's the, that's the general, that's, that's the programming when you look at everything is we're trying to convince you that there's, you know, how can like gurus convince you that to follow them if they, they don't first convince you that there's wisdom that you don't have that you need to... And that's what life is. It's this like constant stripping of like, you do, there's something you don't have. And I think that makes us unhappy. I think I was always happy. I think from when I was 18, I was compl- I had fucking had everything I needed, but the world had convinced me that I needed to chase something. So my diary at 18 years old read four things and everybody in this room has seen the photo of my diary. 
By 25, I want to be a millionaire. I want a Range Rover Sport to be my first car. I want to work on my body image. And I want to have, uh, yeah, and all of those, what are those fucking things? I want a Range Rover to be my first car. Why? I'd never fucking driven a car in my life. I didn't have a driving license, but it was a status object that would, you know, and it would make me in comparison to other people have some kind of artificial worth. The next thing on my list, I wanted to be a millionaire. Why do I want a million? Why? Again, status. Just fucking the world had convinced an 18-year-old kid that he needed a million. Why did I want to work on my body image? How can someone be like fat if, there isn't, if that isn't a subjective measure of everyone else? Again, that's just some comparison bullshit I was told. What if I was already enough? And in fact, a very happy person had convinced himself that he was missing something because the world had got into my head. And um, I don't want to chase forever. You know, I don't want to just keep fucking chasing forever. Make sure you like this video and you subscribe to the channel.